0: Screen Time
1: with John Fardy. This is News Talk.
2: Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal on their friendship and of course the great new movie All of Us Strangers. I also talk to its director and screenwriter Andrew Haig. Plus The Color Purple, the new version. What's it all about? We find out in the company of course, Swasser. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy. Or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And of course, it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. I hope you're doing well. I remember bemoaning to you car trouble a while ago. I had more car trouble this week where the heater in my car went and I was driving in the rain and couldn't clear the window. Wasn't good. I have a car that's old that I've been clinging onto because it's very reliable most of the time. But I think the universe is telling me now it may be time to go. But I'm, I'm trying to embrace this reuse motto. And, and I, I want to kind of drive it into the ground. However, the ground is getting closer all the time, it seems. So uh, that was what was happening to me this week. And outside of movies, but, you know, slightly related, Billy Joel announced new music this week for the first time in decades. His last song was 17 years ago, but really his last album of, you know, a proper body of work was 1993 with The River of Dreams. You might wonder why I'm talking about that. Regular listeners know I'm a massive fan. So I was delighted to hear that. So in a way, my car heater breaking was yin-yanged by the announcement of Billy Joel's new music. And of course, in movies, the big news of the week was the Oscars and much consternation about those who didn't make the cut. First of all, great for Killian Murphy, great for Oppenheimer, great for Element Pictures with poor things. Not so good for Margot Robbie, big disappointment for her. Apparently, I mean, I'm not sure how seriously she's gutted by it but look you know we've discussed this movie barbie a few times on the show i'm of the opinion there was a touch of the emperor's new clothes about it and i didn't necessarily buy the this was a really clever deconstruction of the male gaze and and i don't think all that hung together as successfully as people claimed it's not a bad movie that said margot robbie was brilliant in it absolutely brilliant so i do think she deserves a, a place in that list of, of best actress. Now, I'm not sure if we should be picketing embassies about it or anything, but I, but I do think it's, she's worthy of inclusion in that list. But the two things I was most disappointed about, I said to you last week, I was disappointed Andrew Scott wasn't nominated for an Emmy, or sorry, for a BAFTA. But I'm, I think he should have been nominated for All of Us Strangers, which you're going to hear me talk to him about, because he's brilliant in it. And I think that should have been nominated for Best Picture. I also think Past Lives should have got a director nomination for Celine Song, because I think that's a remarkable film as well. But look, it's Hollywood, it's a cruel business, and other such clichés. So we are going to get to Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal very shortly. But before we do, I want to tell you briefly about something Pretty remarkable as well that I've been watching on TV this week called American Nightmare. It's on Netflix. It's only three parts. It's getting a lot of column inches for those of you who still read columns and things like that. In 2015, a lady called Denise Huskins and her boyfriend Aaron Quinn were basically awoken by an intruder. Denise was taken hostage and was sexually assaulted. And then she was released. And cause it appeared possibly that it could have been a hoax. They started to intimate the California police that this was a hoax similar to Gone Girl. And the reporting that they did in the case was completely them trying to prove that this was some kind of hoax. The truth was very, very different. I don't want to say too much more about it because... You need to watch this. It is a great watch. It's a harrowing watch at times. It is from the same people who gave us the Tinder swindler. Felicity Morris and Bernadette Higgins who were on this show and it is a great watch really well put together really dramatized in a, in a very very good way it's a, it's a complete documentary but I just say the way they edit it together it is gripping important viewing and has oh my god moments in it as you might imagine and cast a very negative view on the You know, how men in particular, it has to be said, in that police department and in the FBI decided what had happened before they investigated the facts. It is a remarkable, a remarkable watch so I'm highly recommending with caution, it is a hard watch but an important watch called American Nightmare on Netflix. Do let me know if you might have watched that. Get in touch with me about anything you may have been watching in the movies or on TV. John underscore Friday is my Twitter handle or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com Now, take a listen to this.
3: Drink. It's Japanese. It's meant to be the best in the world, but I I couldn't tell you why, so. Oh, thanks. Okay, um. Okay, how about I come in anyway? If not for a drink, then. For whatever else you might want. Um.
0: I think that's a good idea.
3: (laughs) Don't scare you.
0: Well,
3: we don't have to do anything if I'm not your type. There's vampires in my door.
2: Now that is a clip from all of us strangers, the much-talked-about and rightly lauded new movie that lands this week in cinemas on the 26th of January, and you heard Andrew Scott and Paul Meskell there. One night in his near-empty tower block in modern London, Adam, played by Andrew Scott, has a chance encounter with a mysterious neighbour, Harry, played by Paul Meskell, which punctuates the rhythm Of his everyday life. He's a writer who's struggling somewhat with writer's block. Now, as their relationship develops, Adam is preoccupied with memories of his past and finds himself drawn back to the suburban town and, in particular, his childhood home, where his parents, played brilliantly by Claire Foy and Jamie Bell, appear to be living just as they were on the day they died 30 years earlier. So he's having this relationship with Paul Meskel, and in tandem with that, he's meeting his dead parents. It is a haunting, poignant, and kind of hypnotic story of love and loss. A couple of times, and I know people have had this reaction, I shed many tears watching it. It's absolutely beautiful. Now, it was inspired by the novel Strangers, by the Japanese author Yamada, penned back in the 80s. And Andrew Haig, who directs it, also wrote the screenplay, updated that novel, or that's what it's based on. We'll get to Andrew Haig later. As I say, the principal characters are Andrew Scott, who's dealing with his past, and also possibly falling for Paul Meskell's character. Now, I... Got to speak to Andrew Scott and Paul Meskell earlier in the week I'm not sure if they need much introduction Andrew Scott, we know him from James Bond Spectre From Fleabag, from Black Mirror He's going to be in a new series, Ripley uh, Very popular, brilliant actor He is brilliant in this Paul Mescal, the hottest ticket in Irish acting at the moment I don't think he needs any introduction So I caught up with them live in person in Dublin Earlier in the week Andrew, if I could start with you, it seems to me there's some kind of great wish fulfilment in this movie. The idea you could not just go back and meet one's dead parents, but meet them at a time where you could ask them about the shit in your life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, w- yeah. Was that p- what spoke to you about it? That's what spoke to me most about it. Yeah, it may I think, not have been.
0: It, I think I that think beautiful premise is what attracted all of us and... Um, uh, all the audience, just that beautiful idea of what would you say to your parents if, if you could really talk to them as mm-hmm. adults, as complete contemporaries. Jamie Bell and Claire Foy uh, playing my parents. Yeah. Um, and they're actually younger than me, so it's a sort, of, a sort <laughs> yeah. of very strange thing. But what's really interesting in playing that dynamic is that you understand, it's not about the age; it's about the role. And we never yeah. really escape our parents, even as adults. You know, we're always that. they're, they're, they're And they kind of stay
2: at certain ages for us. Yeah, they yeah. do. They
0: stay at certain, and he he, he conjures them up and uh, brings them back at the time he remembers them most acutely, which he loses them when he's, he's eleven years old. So Complete with later.
2: moustache as well. Yeah, and <laughs> he's
0: a little eighties moustache is yeah. gone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Paul, you know, your character is different in that. I'm, you can tell me, though, but he's vaguer than Andrews. Mm-hmm. And even the way he arrives, he's kind of sloping on the door, half-pissed. Yeah, half pissed.
3: yeah. And fully, fully pissed, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Right. an advanced state of refreshment. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> like he, I'm wondering on the script, like, did you find there was a lot of places to go? Because he's more ghostly. We only know a tiny exactly. bit. It's kind of a gift as an
3: actor. Oh, because you get to, like, you get a wide, wide canvas, and you have to, like, I love when a director or a script requires you to fill in the gaps because it feels like you have so many secrets for yourself that actually, yeah. when you're playing a supporting character like this, when you're in the film to support Andrew's journey through it, as you said, you just have a wide canvas and you kind of get to fill it with little secrets for yourself. And yeah. um, as an actor, that's a great uh, privilege and a joy to get to do, for sure.
2: Yeah. This time last year, I was talking to uh, Brandon. Oh, I can't remember his name. Lisa? Lisa? Yes. It's <laughs> terrible, isn't it? And Colin Farrell. Yeah. And they were doing exactly what you were doing, promoting a great movie. And they, I, I walked in and they were talking to each other before I walked in. As soon as I stopped, they started talking to each other again. You know, you guys are on a bit of a journey with this movie. It must be great when you have to talk to people like me all day that you get on so well. Yeah. Oh,
3: makes
2: so a huge difference isn't yeah, yeah. it?
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, it
2: does. It makes it absolutely, it makes it
0: fun. Because fun, it, it, yeah. it, yeah. it can be quite weird, you know, if you're doing it on your own. We started yes. our press tour in America in, in Los Angeles, and then Paulie um, had to go, and then I had to do a little bit on my own. Just like, a bit...
3: Remember, I was so depressed leaving LA. Cause <laughs> no, we actually had, no. like, as you said, sometimes press can be difficult or, Monday, not this obviously. I mean, but, obviously. I mean this it's this all roads have been leading to this craft. really. Yeah. But leaving out, like we got to, because I hadn't seen him for ages and we were also chomping at the bit to get out and promote the film. Yeah, and yeah after the strike. So we had like a week in LA running around the place doing photo shoots, like getting dressed up in like nice clothes. Yeah, it was great. It was It was, it was, like, it was, a, great, it was a great craft. Yeah. I noticed
2: yeah. he called you Paulie there. Yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 But that's,
2: <laughs> you clearly know each other well. at an IE.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I uh, spoke to you
2: for God's Creatures uh-huh. last year or late, early. Oh, I yeah, can't remember what year but it was. It, but but year, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I remember saying to you, have you had a break? Because mm-hmm. it was off the run of all these things. And you yeah. were saying, don't worry about breaks. I got to take this opportunity yeah. while I have it. Is that a year later? Are you still feeling that? Still. Or did you take a break? No, I, have, I haven't, gentlemen. It's kind of.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. I like, look. I'll sleep when I'm dead for a bit. No, but I, like, I, I feel like I want to keep the foot down for a little bit longer. Okay. I don't have, like, like kids. Like, I, like, this is the time for me yeah. to go for it, and I think I want to keep the foot down for a little bit longer, and then okay. I'll take a break. I promise.
2: <laughs> My wife just sent me a picture of you in the lighthouse last night. Oh, the Lighthouse, also. The Lighthouse yeah, Cinema, that's that's yeah, yeah. That's and they have a cocktail <laughs> named after you called Great Scots Yeah. with Campari, vodka, and vermouth. Did yeah. Did you taste it? Oh, I did. Of course yeah. I did. Oh, no, I tasted you did. the mezcal one. We had both. We had both. Oh, there's a Mescal one as well. Yeah, yeah there's a Mescal,
3: Mescal, Mescal
0: one A Mescal Mule. Yeah. See? See right. what yeah. they did
2: there? Yeah. Are they good? They're they very were good. Actually, they, were,
0: they were nice and strong. Yeah,
3: yeah exactly how we like them, yeah.
0: Yeah. You shouldn't have, if you're going to have a cocktail, you
3: want to feel that you're drinking alcohol. Or the dangerous ones are the ones that don't feel like this. Yeah, like like yeah. alcohol. Yeah, like alcohol pops. Yeah. But they're f- laced with alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I spoke to Fiona Shaw a while oh, wow. ago, and she was saying, just a little name drop for you, Brandon Gleason, blah, blah, right. blah. But uh, she said to me about, you know, I've been on stages all over the world, I've been in all these kind of movies, and I did three days on Harry Potter. And it's, all oh, the people want to talk to me. And you never know the life a character is going to have. Mm-hmm. And it occurs to me, you were in Fleabag for, it was probably a couple of days' work. Have you been, so oh, sorry, but you know, it, it's, it's, seven weeks. But okay. sorry, but it's small, it's small. Have you been surprised by the life that character has continued to have?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a character that certainly ignited uh, the audience's uh, imagination. I was in LA recently and I was crossing, you know, on, the, on Santa Monica Boulevard, like those really long pedestrian uh-huh. crossing. So there were loads of cars <laughs> and like four of them were like, Hot Priest! It'll pass! <laughs> Good luck in the
2: Globes! They're like, it's so incredible,
0: yeah. the way they, they, they don't mind shouting. Yeah. It'll yeah.
2: pass, is that the one they shout It'll you pass. I yeah, get it'll pass, yeah, yeah, it'll
0: pass, I get a lot. Yeah.
3: Or, or, or Neil. Oh, yeah! sexiest line <laughs> of all
2: time. That's a perfect place to end. All of Us Strangers is fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so lovely else. to see you. Thanks it's a lot, for nice of love. love. Thank you Cheers. so Andrew Scott there and how the hot priest follows him wherever he goes. And Paul Meskell there talking about their wonderful new film, All of Us Strangers. Up next, the man who wrote the screenplay and indeed directed the movie, Andrew Haig. Now, you're welcome back to Screen Time, news talks, TV and movie show. Now, before the break, we were talking to Andrew Scott and Paul Mesca. Well, we weren't. I was. I meant the royal we, And uh, All of Us Strangers is directed and the screenplay was written by Andrew Haig. Andrew Haig is the award winning British writer and director whose films include Lean on Peace, beautiful movie from about seven years ago at this stage, 45 years. His breakout hit was Weekend. He's done plenty of TV, the very popular show Looking, and of course, The North Water from a few years ago, all about whaling in the 1800s, that starred Colin Farrell. So I got to talk to him about All of Us Strangers and some other things as well. But tell me this, I read this thing in the Los Angeles Times yesterday written by you and I read it twice and I still couldn't quite get my head around it if this was true or not. But just maybe you could explain it to me. My understanding is the house this was filmed in was your house that you grew up in.
1: Yeah, it was. It was my yeah house.
2: And like maybe the obvious and facetious question, but I mean it generally, why? <laughs>
1: I think when I was writing the script, I knew that you know it goes to some strange places yeah. in the material, obviously, and I wanted to, to have it, I wanted to ground it in a reality. And so that reality, I thought, well, listen, um, why not make it my own reality? Okay. And my uh, childhood, let's say. Yeah. And this is a story about someone going back into time, essentially, and having a reunion with their past, and so I sort of wanted to do the same thing. Um, and also, I think, when I was writing, when you think of a childhood home, yeah. You think of your own childhood home. You can't help it. Sure. When I'm writing, I'm inside my own head imagining uh, what something looks like. So it just sort of could have came out of that. And then I don't think I quite understood what that meant when I actually had to go and film in that house, which was quite a strange environment because I hadn't been there for 40 years. So it's not as if it's still in my family or anything. Yeah. You know, it's a house that we lived in and then moved away from, and I hadn't been back since I was nine years old. Okay. Um, so it was a strange environment to go back into, and we redesigned it to look like it used to look yeah. when I was there. And uh, so it was strange to film in.
2: Like, you know, I don't want to get pretentious, but like, was there a Proustian? I nearly feel like that would be nearly too much for me, you know, to go back there and then make this creative thing where, you know, Andrew Scott and Paul mm. Mescal and Claire Foy are running through. It must have been very
1: weird. Yeah, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in my old bedroom and Andrew is in pyjamas, dressed in pyjamas <laughs> like I used to wear in my old bedroom. And then he's getting to bed with his mom and dad in what was my parents' old uh, bedroom. But I feel like whenever I do something, I almost want to make myself feel uncomfortable. Okay. And I realize that you have to dig a little bit deeper mm-hmm. uh, to find whatever the thing is that's really interesting. So. I think I'm always like looking for that vulnerability in something okay. and in a person. Yeah. And if I expect that from my actors, for example, to be vulnerable, I feel like I have to do the same thing. Mm. And I have to meet them in the middle of that, okay. whatever that is. So I feel like it was a chance for me to feel quite vulnerable in that situation. Yeah. And I think it worked because it allowed everybody even just being in that place, to talk about their own experiences of being a kid, of what they felt like when they were a kid, their relationship with their parents, mm. you know, uh, and I think that really helped create a little bit of kind of magic within the story.
2: Andrew Scott is, is so good in it, and, and you know, Irish people know him and the hot priest yeah. and all that, but good heavens, he's, he's brilliant in it because he has this vulnerability, as you say. Was it him, once you conceived of this, you knew in your head, or was it casting, or was it always him?
1: Once I finished the script and we started talking about actors, it was always him. I didn't think of anybody when I'm writing, so there was no one in my mind, I don't like to think like that. Uh, Because you never know you are going to get them and you can be disappointed and does it make sense and there's so many things that go into making a film. Schedule, availability, all of this. It's
2: a miracle any of them get made. Totally,
1: totally. But then when I thought about Andrew and I look back at some of his work and just thought about him as a person, I was like, yeah, I think he's kind of perfect. And then the same with Paul and Claire and Jamie, and so I, I felt so lucky. And then when I sat down with Andrew and we just talked through the project and what it meant to him and what it meant to me, you know, we're similar ages, he's a little bit younger than me, he's like, late. I'm 50, he's like 47, I think. We just, you know, we shared so much. Yeah. You know, him growing up in, in, in Ireland and me growing up in, you know, the, just outside London, we just shared that experience. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of easy for us to communicate on that
0: basis.
2: I was wondering, I was thinking back to going, and you'll have to bear with me for a second, going to see Broke Mountain, Mm. which is 15 years ago. And this big thing at the Mm. time that it's the first time there's a gay love story with two serious Hollywood actors Mm. at its center. Mm. And I was thinking after I came out of All of Us Strangers, but this is from a straight person. So Mm. I'm wondering what the writer thinks about this, but that it's almost unremarkable now that it's a gay love story. But as I say, that's just my take on it. How do you see that? I think it's an interesting
1: one because I do think things are very different. So there is yeah. so much, I mean, even in just like 10, whatever, 10, 15 years, yeah. everything has changed. Big everything, uh, amazingly. Um, I still think it, it's, you still have the same sort of challenges to get it out into the world. I think more people are definitely um, more uh, willing to go and watch uh, a film about uh, two gay people. But I think it's still, it's still, it's not always, you know, easy. But then again, you know, it doesn't need to be for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not too worried about a film needing to be for everybody. Sure, sure. Um, at the same time, but I definitely think that there was a, there was an openness uh, to uh, watching these kind of films now.
2: Um, yeah, and I think that well, I suppose it was a a kind of fist, heavy fisted way of saying it, but that the gayness of it, for want mm-hmm. of a better phrase, is almost secondary yeah. to the love storyness of it and the complicated mm-hmm. love story of it. That it's it's Andrew's trauma that yeah. is, and his need for love. If that happens to be man or woman, it seems maybe to be slightly different.
1: Yeah, I, I think that is really important because it is about like, I think you can have specific stories. You can have very specific love story, let's say, yeah. but if it doesn't feel universal underneath, mm. then nobody's really going to want to see yeah, it. Exactly. Like, it has to be rooted in something that we all experience. Yeah. And there is so much in the film that is something that we all experience, whether yeah. you're gay or straight or a parent or a child or any, whatever that might be, or in a relationship. You can understand what those things are that you can connect with.
2: Yeah, I don't want to Freud it up too much, but my understanding is your parents are both still alive. Is that correct? That, yeah. So it's an obvious question, but I know it's fictionalised and it's mm. called acting, darling. <laughs> but how have they been about the movie or... What's their reaction been? Yeah, I mean, I don't think
1: it's... Uh, my mum has seen it. My dad's not well, and he's okay. got dementia, so he won't, he won't right, get okay. to see it. Uh, but, and my mum and dad split up when I was very young, when I was like nine years old. But my mum has seen it, and I think it's complicated for her to see. Sure. It's a complicated story for her, Uh, To see for lots of reasons and not just as a mother to a child, but also, you know She lost her own mother when she was young. Mm. So there's lots, you know I think for everybody this complicated thing. So for Mum, it's a complicated movie to watch, but she loves it She's very, you know, proud that I, I made it uh, but I think it's a strange thing, and for the rest of my family, for my brother to see it, and then to see the house that he also grew up in. It's a strange thing for 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 people in my family, or people that just know me in general.
2: I saw uh, the two guys, and you in the audience, on two talk shows last <laughs> night, and it strikes me that both those people, well they can be named, Graham Norton and Patrick Keelty, yeah. were both struck and had an emotive response to the movie. And I was just thinking about it that part of me afterwards was thinking, oh, it's people who've had problematic childhoods this is going to work for. But everyone has had a problematic childhood, I think, maybe. Or or what's your take on that? I don't think anyone isn't going to get something out of this because no one had a perfect childhood.
1: Nobody had a perfect childhood. And if they did, they're probably still messed up. Even yeah. if they probably more <laughs> messed up In if denial. they did have a perfect childhood. <laughs> so look. Life is very, very complicated, and look, we all lose people, and we all lose people that we love. And my, I always think that it's not always through death as well. Sure. Like there's so many people that have been all important to so many of us in our lives that we don't see anymore. Relationships that are broken down, friendships that somehow we drifted apart from. And so I think we understand what it's like to lose people, and we also understand that the like the importance of that love that existed back then never goes away. It's always there. It's still there. And ever anything gets stronger. As I get older, I look back at people I don't see, people I've lost and grandparents and friends and all those kind of things that aren't around anymore. And the love is exactly the same, yeah. if not stronger than it was then. So I think it's, a, it's fascinating. I think yeah. everyone understands that on like a visceral level, unconscious level perhaps, but still.
2: I just want to ask you a few things about some of the great other things mm. you've done. The North Water, fantastic TV. I, for this radio station, went to the Arctic Circle once mm. to do a documentary about the Northern Lights and it was great, but batteries kept freezing. It was an absolute nightmare. And I read that in the North Water, that's the furthest any TV crew has ever gone. Mm. So. It must, it's great TV, but it, I know you're in Norway, but it must have been an absolute nightmare. Yeah, no, it was,
1: but this is again, it's like I quite like throwing myself into really uncomfortable <laughs> situations. So I'm saying to all these actors, you know, Conan Farrell, big actor, like, we're gonna go on a boat for six weeks and we're gonna be stranded off the north coast of Svalbard, yeah. you know. Closer to the North Pole in the end than we are to any land like insane. <laughs> we're not on land We're floating around trying to find sea ice. There's three ships. There's a stunt, you know, the, the old uh, Ship that's there and it was sort of insane, but at the same time everybody loved it. It was very difficult very yeah. cold You know, you're standing out on the ice and there's, you know, it's just floating ice in the middle of the yeah. sea like, What am I doing? But they all everyone I think bonded really loved it. It was a really amazing experience you know, I made friends for life from that from that experience.
2: I once, again, in this radio station, met Willie Volton. Mm, oh. Yeah, he's just a fascinating guy. And, and I was reading about Lean on Pete and, and I read the book and I loved it all. Why did you want to make Lean on Pete? Because when I look at your career, it mm. seems maybe that's, oh, he did that one. I get the other ones, but I'm not sure why. He did a great job, but yeah. I'm not sure why you wanted to do that one.
1: Yeah, I loved the book, in all honesty. And I think in the end, it is sort of about the same thing. It is about (laughs) a kid in that story, searching for some kind of stability in the face of essentially trauma. I mean, his dad's killed in that story, yeah. and his mum's left him. So there's a lot of stuff going on in and there. And the
2: horse thing didn't put you off,
1: because I got because you're not an equestrian. I can't t- know. Yeah. Horses, I, I don't, I've never. I mean, I think I've ridden a horse once. Okay. But you know, it was just like the idea of this horse representing somehow to him stability and friendship, and and that felt really powerful to me. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, obviously I saw Willie a lot, and he I he's such a great guy, and there's something there's a there's is like a harsh kindness to that novel. Yeah. It's a bleak experience, but there was like softness and kindness within the heart of that story about what you know can be achieved in life if someone supports you and looks after you. And I always know he's a, he's got loads of fans over in Ireland. I know that yeah. like leading on won a prize yeah. over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he, it's it's a. You know, I understand why people like him. Do you have any Irish connections? Yes. Yeah, so my grandma was Irish. Yeah. So yeah, like, I, you know, I've got a huge Irish Catholic yeah, family. I, yeah. And it's a big. You know, that's the, why you make girl.
2: movies about trauma. Well, I know exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so you know, yeah, exactly. So I've got huge. Like they all yeah. live here in Galway and like, it's a big part of my family is also over over here. Even though I'm not spending a huge amount of time here.
2: I was talking to Joel Edgerton last week, just a little name drop for you, you know? And, but you know, in the list of people who had it hard in COVID, actors and movie makers are way down the list of priorities but I was saying to him you know there was the writer's strike as well it has been a very strange time for his business now he had twins and life was great for him and all that kind of stuff but how were the last three years for you with all that went on in the world when what you want to do was stopped for so long
1: I mean in a weird way I was writing this most of the pandemic which was quite a good time to write it because yeah, stu- I was living in LA. So I was stuck in the place in LA, miles away from my family and friends back here. So it actually was quite a strange, strangely positive for writing this project, but it was a rough time for everybody. Like, I think we forget now how rough it yeah. was and how strange it felt, like, you know, and. Yeah. For me, it was a lot easier, as you say, than it was for so many other people. So I feel like I was lucky mm. uh, to, uh, you know... Uh, to. Uh, Do you think if it hadn't been for lockdown you mightn't have written this? I think I probably still would have done. I feel like uh, lockdown has had an influence on the film. Like, I think in in, like... 10 years time, if I watch back the film, I think you can watch and be like, oh yeah, sort of makes sense that this was made coming out of COVID. Sort of makes sense, there's an isolation in the story. And a lot of people felt very isolated. You know, I've got friends who were single and lived by themselves Mm -hmm. for all of that time in all those lockdowns. And that was not easy to be by yourself for such a long time.
2: And can I just ask finally then, what's next? I'd love to know. I know that's hard to talk about when you're in the middle of this.
1: (laughs) I've got a couple of projects that could happen. They're both sort of... Developmental hell? Development, No, like popping out of development hell into like (laughs) actual possibilities. Uh, And so they're both sort of like ticking along and there are two films I really want to make. Um, I'm not going to say what they are, but there's two films I really want to make and I'm hoping that one of them will go this year and one of them will go next year. So continue to success. Thank you, cheers. Thank you so much, cheers.
2: Cheers. You were just a boy. And
0: now you're not.
2: Totally different, but it's still you.
0: I thought you'd be hairier, like your dad. (laughs) Okay, sorry. (laughs) Like a hairy chest
2: myself. Mm
0: -hmm. Christ! Do you know who you remind me of? Uh, Who? You look just like my dad. Hmm. I remember him anyway when I was a little girl. God, isn't that mad? It's
2: like seeing you both exactly the same time. Andrew Scott and Claire Foy there in the beautiful All of Us Strangers. And before that, you heard me talking to the writer and director of All of Us Strangers, Andrew Haig. We did talk briefly about the Oscars at the end of that interview, but I took it out because, as I've said earlier, it's a big shame, but the movie wasn't nominated. But let's not talk of Strangers now. Uh, see what I did there? All of Us Strangers, as should be apparent to you now, is a wonderful movie, according to me, and it's in cinemas from this Friday, the 26th of January. Up next, the other big new release of the week, the new version of The Colour Purple. Now, you're welcome back to the show. Now, we've been talking a lot about All of Us Strangers, but the other big new release of the week is The Colour Purple. Yes, The Colour Purple, which was a novel by Alice Walker, then a movie in the 80s starring Whoopi Goldberg, then a musical, and now a new version of it based on that musical. As far as I'm aware, but to tell me more and to tell me if it's worth the ticket admission is film critic and arts journalist Chris Wasser. Chris, hello.
4: Hello, John. How are you?
2: very well so I have that right I do yeah. this is based on the Broadway musical which in turn was based on the book and there is also the movie that we all remember from the 80s right
4: yes yes wildly different subject matter but it's essentially the same thing as as me and girls and as the producers you know it's gone through the machine several times it was one thing then it was another with you know the whole Broadway uh, reworking and then now it's back on the screen so for anyone going this weekend just remember like me and girls this one is a musical well, it's
2: funny. I didn't know where you were going there. I thought you were about to say this is like Mean Girls. And I thought this is the no, antithesis very <laughs> of, of Mean Girls. But let me ask you that en route to you telling me all about it. When we discussed Mean Girls last week, Neve O'Reilly, we were pointing out that they hid the fact in the trailer that it was a musical. They don't seem to have done that in this trailer, is my understanding.
4: No, I mean uh, the the Mean Girls musicals. The, the Mean Girls musical was a success, but the Color Purple musical was a proper smash. Um, mm-hmm. But there does seem that there is a tradition of 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 major studios, you know, basically Sweeney Todding their audience. I'm gonna just like invent that that term. You know, you go back to Sweeney Todd, the Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter version that Tim Burton directed, and that was the fact that that was a musical was hidden from audiences, and you did have people showing up going what what the heck is this you had critics showing up going what the heck is this um and there does seem to be an attempt to mask that maybe because musicals are no longer big sellers on every now and then you have something absolutely massive like la la land but musicals are not as as popular as they once were so maybe you know studios are a little bit reluctant to to to, you know they're not reluctant to make them but they're reluctant to market them as musicals Mm. i don't really understand this i really enjoyed mean girls but yeah this is a this is a very different film
2: Yes, indeed it is. So tell us what's going on. I mean, presumably a similar story to the 1986 movie, albeit told differently with music and different actors, obviously.
4: Yeah, that's right. Uh, just as just as it was in Broadway, this version, it, it does follow the original outline that Alice Walker had in her Pulitzer Prize winning novel. So there's a few tweaks, but it's still more or less the same story. So it is the early 1900s in Georgia, and we have a young African-American woman named Celie. She's portrayed at first in the film by Felicia perl and then for most of it by Felicia. Tasia Barino in her feature debut and she's quite brilliant in her debut. She uh, she lives in Georgia and as a teenager is, su- is subjected to unspeakable horrors and abuse from her father um, and she one day is sent to live with this, this horrible male suitor. She knows him as Mr. His name is Albert Johnson. He's played by the brilliant Coleman Domingo and she is essentially forced to marry this man. Now he's just a waste of space. He also abuses Celie. He banishes her sister Nettie from their home. Uh, she has to do everything that he says and it's just it's just a horrible way to live so as the years pass Celie kind of wonders what happened to the two children that she gave up when she was a teenager she wonders you know what happened to her sister because she was no longer allowed to see her she wonders what her life would have been like actually if her mother had survived and if her father had never sent her away now there is a person in her life who makes her smile and her name is Sophia she's played by Danielle Brooks who received an Oscar nomination this week and Mm -hmm. she is the rebellious wife of Mr's grown-up son Harpo And she loves Harpo, but she sees the way that Celia is treated and she just tells Harpo from the beginning, I will not take that. And when Harpo turns on her, she leaves him and he turns their old home into this duke joint which is essentially uh, a, a bar an old an old-fashioned bar a lot of gambling going on live music and whatever have you and 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 it's when Harpo invites this popular uh, uh, jazz singer uh, named Shug Avery portrayed here by Taraji P. Henson that everything just begins to change because he's Mr's uh he's Mr's mistress there's a there's a a, a a tongue-twisting term and you know so there's a background there she goes to live with Celie she kind of brings Celie out of her shell and she offers her a glimpse of what life might be like without Mr. it.
2: Now, my memory of the 1986 one, and I probably saw that in like 1991, and I haven't seen it since, but obviously, and people can get a sense of it, there was a lot of tragedy and darkness and mm. horror in this. And in a way, I was thinking, is that incongruous with a musical? So I- is there a lot of unrelenting doom in this?
4: There is, but it's been softened uh, mm-hmm. and it's been squeezed. And And I mean, a lot of people accuse Spielberg of this with the novel, because yeah. the novel... Uh, you know, it's an awful lot darker than what we yeah. saw on the screen in the 1985 film. And, Sp- and, and Spielberg took an awful lot of flack, A, because people, uh, you know, a lot of audiences showed up and believed that maybe an African-American director would have better served the material, that Spielberg just had no real connection with it. The cast came out and supported Spielberg, and they said, no, he, he did a wonderful job with it. And he did make, you know, a very powerful film, but it was it's also a very sentimental film, and it does mm-hmm. soften, you know, various themes and topics. I I wonder then what the audiences who were critical of the original will think of this because it's one thing to sentimentalize you know a drama and still have it a drama it's another to add music to it and I am struggling to think of who might have read the color purple or or, or watched the Spielberg version and thought you know what will go well with this Broadway song and dance numbers yeah. I I just do not think it works I think it trivializes and it Disneyfies some very serious topics and themes to the point where it's an uncomfortable watch. You know, you've you've, you've troubling themes and problematic themes of domestic violence and abuse and rape and incest. And it's, 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 it's hard stuff, John. And then to have the characters then singing and dancing around it, that did not sit well with me.
2: Okay. Now, we should say that this was directed by Blitz uh, Bazawali, I believe his name is. Who's He's from Ghana, I believe, originally. Yes. Uh, so this is, you know, this is, is probably a more appropriate director, some people would say, but yet it's just not working for you because of the song and dance numbers given the material
4: yes blitz basi originally came to uh originally turned a lot of heads uh, a couple of years ago with a film that he made with beyonce called black is king and i think that was probably the feature that got him this job um and i look forward to seeing what he does next um and i probably it probably sounded like i i i, I really didn't like the film i think the performances kind of save it because you know i don't think i don't think it it works having the you know the characters sing and dance about about everything horrible that's happening to them but some of the the acting in here is is quite superb so you've got a taraji p henson who is just sublime she takes a character that you know like most of the players in here shug is sort of a caricature. You know, you can see that there was once a fully formed character there, but unfortunately it's a Broadway musical kind of set up there. They're, you know, they're a little bit sketchy by the time we're finished with them. And, and she actually turns it into something tangible. She turns it into something just tremendous. And Danielle Brooks, who is nominated for an Oscar this week for best supporting actress, she plays Sophia. And despite the fact that the film is a little bit baggy and, and it goes on for far too long, John, it's two and a half hours long. And that's, that's an awful lot of musical on the big screen. Despite that, it just lights up whenever she's in it. She is just a powerhouse here. And I, again, look forward to seeing what she does next. And also Fantasia. So
2: sorry to cut across you, but is she a worthy recipient of uh, Best Supporting Actor Nod?
4: I, I think so. Yeah. It's. I mean, that's been that's been bothering me now for the last couple of days trying to figure out who was left out of the uh, mm. acting categories, who would have been, you know, who deserved this more. The whole thing is, it's impossible to, to, to know, really. She was nominated, and is it a good performance? It's a great performance. Mm. So, yes. Um, and I think also, okay. as well, uh, uh, Fantasia, she goes by the, uh, the, the one named Fantasia, who plays Célie, to go from, this is someone who won American Idol a few years back, yeah. and works primarily as a singer, to front a film like this. Her name might be at the bottom of the cast sheet, but she's in almost every scene. And she is, you know, she is Seely. This film revolves around her. To go from having no acting experience to fronting a film like this, it's no, you know, small feat. And she is terrific here. So great performances. And also, Coleman Domingo is brilliant in here. And he's having quite the year. It's just the film around them. is just very creaky.
2: Okay. And Coleman Domingo, who I actually spoke to for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, he, is, I always say that, I realize whenever you mention these people, but he's been nominated for Rustin. So he's not nominated for this, correct?
4: Yes, he was nominated for yeah. playing uh, the civil rights activist Bayard Rustin in Rustin. Um, but again, it's it's it is a great performance. Uh, so so he is having a good year. So yeah, I think people you know going into it know that this is not you know a strict you know straightforward drama like what spielberg gave us um but it does suffer from the same things where it's over sentimentalizing things it's uh it's it's taking a very serious story and kind of making light of it a little bit and the songs sometimes get in the way of you know some some good storytelling but there's enough there and it sounds as though i'm repeating myself now but i'm looking forward to seeing what all of the all you know the performers like daniel brooks and performers like uh like fantasia i'm looking forward to seeing what they do next because they do have something special
2: Okay, so this is a somewhat incongruous review in that the telling of the story seemed to really irk you or, or, or not sit well with you times, and yet you were blown away by nearly every central performance. So I'm really not sure what star rating you're going to give. The color purple.
4: I think we'll go with an, a, a solid five or a solid three out of five. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it's you know it's, it's it's one of those films where the performances just keep winning you back. You think to yourself, okay. I don't know how much more of this I can take, but the performances uh, kept me on side.
2: Okay, I'm very intrigued by this, I have to say So that's three stars for the new version Hope we're not saying that all year long But anyway, because we said the new version of Mean Girls last week But uh, three stars for the new version of The Colour Purple Which is in cinemas Let's take a quick clip
4: Today, our teacher taught
0: us about a place called Africa She say our mamas come from Queens over there
4: That means that we Royalty.
1: (laughs) Afternoon, I need me a wife.
4: Even if we have to
0: part, you and me, us have one heart. Get off my leg! I'll rat you every day! Daddy! 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 Nothing but death can keep me from it! You must ain't got no kinfolk around these parts.
4: All I had was my sister.
3: <laughs>
4: she was the only one ever loved me. I'm gonna
3: hold my head up. It's
0: time for you to see the world. There's gonna be some changes made.
4: Put it on. This ain't me. Hush. We need to look like we belong. Let's see this smile and color. <gasps> Ooh, sweet and loving God.
2: Now, that was a clip from The Colour Purple. Chris Wasser gave it three stars. Chris, just before I let you go, two things I want to ask you. I'm going to quickly chat to you about the Oscars. But just en route to that, I have spent most of the show talking about All of Us Strangers. I absolutely loved it. I was bl- Not that there was anything wrong with Paul Mescal or Claire Foy or Jamie Bell, but I thought Andrew Scott was... An amazing performance, one that I'm not the better of. I said already in the show, I shed tears. I go to plenty of movies. It doesn't happen that often. I was absolutely blown away from this. I think it's a five stars for me, for all of us strangers, because it's been in my head every day since I've seen it. Are you approaching that or your take on it quickly?
4: oh five stars all the way i think it is extraordinary it's an extraordinary piece of work and i think it'll be funny to see how audiences respond to it this weekend because they might be going into it not knowing anything about the plot and thinking this is a film about paul meskel and andrew scott two lonely londoners falling in love and in a sense that is kind of what happens but at the same time it's a ghost story and i'm i'm so intrigued by what the response to that supernatural theme would be but i will say that i got on just fine with that because i think Those kinds of stories, you know, and it is a fantasy in a sense, those kinds of stories are a lot easier to digest when they're populated by real people. And by Absolutely. real people with real feelings, with real things to say. And I think despite the fact that there are so many peculiarities here, it is at its core a compelling human drama. It's relatable. It got me. It, it just it hit me where it hurts. The performances yeah. are brilliant. And although Scott is just the best he's ever been here, I will say Jamie Bell does not get the credit he deserves. And he is just mm-hmm. wonderful as Adam's father, who just is full of regret for all the things he never said when Adam yeah. was a kid. It's just a sensational piece of work.
2: Well, I'm delighted to hear you say that. And I suppose just, and not that I'm, you know, criticizing you or telling you how to speak, but I would call it magic realism instead of supernatural, only because it's it's so grounded in reality. He just happens to visit with his parents who are no longer alive, but it feels incredibly real. uh, And that's what touched me so much about it. Okay, so five stars as well, yeah?
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's there's a slight of a wobble in terms of the narrative right towards the end. I'm definitely not going to give anything away. But uh, as far as I was concerned, I was like, you can have that wobble. Everything else in the film is perfect, John. So five I know not.
2: I know not what of you speak. But anyway, okay. (laughs) And listen, then finally, right? So the Oscars, we've discussed probably most of those movies over the last year. Let me ask you just a couple of top line things. I mean, I was good at Andrew Scott wasn't in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sad for Paul Meskel as well, but and it's no disrespect to Paul Meskel, but Andrew Scott, do you think he was worthy of a nod?
4: I think so. I think perhaps more worthy of a nod than maybe one or two of the performers in there. I mean, he was always a bit of a stretch, uh, and the fact that Oliver Strangers, the fact that Oliver Strangers wasn't recognised in any of the categories, yeah. that's a little bit that's troubling. Um, yeah. And it was always going to be a stretch, so I wasn't, I wasn't all that surprised. But I would love to have seen him nominated for a BAFTA last week. I can't get my head yeah. around that one.
2: No, I know that that is a real head scratch. Barry Keoghan.
4: Uh, I think that was just way that that was that was never going to happen. And I'm, yeah. I'm look, Saltburn is a film that we all love to talk about, but it wasn't a film that I loved to uh, that. It wasn't a film that I loved watching. And I think no, it I is. It is a very strong performance, but it's a but it's a strong performance in a very silly film. Um, I think we'll have forgotten, <laughs> I think we'll have forgotten about that one next year, John.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure, but I I I get what you're saying. And then finally, I I'm not sure if you and I reviewed Barbie. I can't remember. I'm yeah, getting we did, yeah. my memory. Yeah. yeah, we did, we did. But uh, you know, I didn't think that was a perfect movie. I think we both collectively gave it three stars. But for my money, the best thing by a country mile in it was Margot Robbie. I thought she was brilliant. And I do think, I mean, the internet's in a state of chaos about it, but who cares about that? But I do think. She was definitely worthy of a nomination And I'm really surprised she didn't get one What's your take?
4: Yeah, I think a couple of quick things there. I think it is—it's so inherently silly to treat films like a sporting oh, tournament, and and, yeah. and but but I get lost in it as well, John. Yes. So I think so I think to say that someone deserved it more than someone else, I think that's a that's a wobbly path to go down, despite the fact that I'm saying Andrew Scott definitely deserved after laugh, <laughs> nod over Bradley Cooper, but we'll leave that aside. Uh, the second thing is that everyone—it's it's almost as if people forgot that Margot Robbie, one of the most influential. Performers and producers in the world has been nominated for producing Barbie. There is an Oscar nomination there, and that is not to be undermined. That is an extraordinary Mm. uh, uh, thing that Margot Robbie has done there, backing this film from day one, and to have now a best producer, best picture nomination. That is terrific. And I think the last thing is, yes, I think maybe she should be nominated because we both reviewed Barbie and came away and said, despite the fact, well, at least I know that I did, despite the fact that I think there were an awful lot of ideas there and I just don't think it gelled well as other people thought. Um, The the standout thing about it was the performances and how committed Gosling, who deserves that nomination, and Robbie, who really did deserve a nomination, how committed they were to it. I I think Barbie, she has done terrific work throughout her career so far and she'll she'll give us Mm -hmm. more, but Barbie is the best that she's been. That performance was just magical. Regardless of any other flaws of the storytelling, it was magical and it should be on that list.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think I'm think i in complete agreement with you, apart from the Ryan Gosling thing. But let's not get into <laughs> that now. We're both flying the flag for Margot Robbie. And more importantly for this week, you are giving three stars to The Colour Purple. Chris, thanks a million. Thanks a million, John. Chris Wasser there discussing, well, the Oscars, as well as The Colour Purple, which he gave three stars to. He said it was jarring but the acting is superb. So I'm intrigued to see it, I have to say. I didn't get to it this week. So that is it for this week. We'll do it all again next week. Thank you for listening. You want to get in touch with me at any stage, John underscore Friday is my Twitter handle, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. I'll just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud, and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the remainder of your weekend and have a safe week ahead.